Our scripture for today comes from the first letter to Timothy. I'm reading from chapter 6, verses 17 through 19. As for those who in the present age are rich, command them not to be haughty or to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but rather on God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, generous and ready to share, thus storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of the life that is really life. This is the word of God for all of us. Thanks be to God. I ask you please to pray with me. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O God. Thou our rock and our redeemer. Amen. This is a hammer. Is a hammer good? Do you look at that and say, that's a good thing? Or is it a bad thing? Or is it neutral? We could say a hammer is good. We can use a hammer to build a house. We can use a hammer to do repairs. A lot of good things happen with hammers. But it's also true that hammers can be used for bad. I could use a hammer to smash in a window. I could use a hammer to harm someone. Would that make the hammer bad? You'd say, no, it's just a hammer. It's a tool. Am I better than the rest of you because I have a hammer? (laughs) Where are your hammers? I've got a hammer. What's your problem? Are you hammer lazy? (laughs) Would I judge the rest of you because you don't have a hammer? How ridiculous that sounds. I happen to have a hammer. You don't. Doesn't make me better than anyone. In much the same way, money is a tool. Is money good? Good heavens, yes. Money is great. Money buys food. Money gives us shelter. Money buys us clothing. Money gives us a lot of options. Money is great. And sometimes money isn't so great. Now, you're probably thinking there is no example of that. (laughs) But friends, there is. And some of you are going to know what I'm talking about. I have seen money used as a kind of, I'm losing my words here, but I've seen money used uh, to manipulate people. I've seen money held over the heads of adult children and grandchildren. If you just do what I want, then you might get my money. And people start thinking, you know what, the money isn't worth it. I've seen money used to manipulate people. Or I've seen money held out as this is the thing that's going to make how I'm treating you worth it. And the person may think, you know what? Money isn't worth it. Does that make money bad? No. Money's a tool. Money is good or bad, depending on how we use it. But like all tools, it's nice to have it. It's an option. It buys things we need, even if it can be misused. One of the odd dangers with money is we can think that if we have money, that'll solve everything. And you think about the kind of language people use. Um, You know, people have a lot of money. That's the life. That's living. And yet the irony is that even though we may think of money as security, a certain amount of it we need. We need for our daily lives. We need for savings. Absolutely. 
But there's also a way in which depending upon money can make us more insecure. The Swiss bank UBS did a study back in 2016. They studied 2,200 investors. These were people of 1 million in net assets and above. 600 of the 2,200 had 5 million and above. So you would think, hearing about those kinds of assets, that those are all people who feel they've got it made. They feel secure, they're fine. Do you know what? That isn't what the study found. What the study found was that whatever amount people had, they thought they needed just the next level and then they'd be okay. So the people who had a million, if they just had two million, then they'd be okay. The people who had 10 million thought, if I just had 25 million, then I'd be okay. It turned out that having money did not create contentment. It just meant there was a higher level above it then. I'd have what I'd need. The irony was that money paid, made people feel sometimes more insecure. 63% of those studied said that only one major setback, loss of a job or a downturn in the economy, only one thing like that could make a major change in their lifestyles, and they were anxious about that. Over 50% of the people studied said that they felt like they were on a treadmill with their money and they couldn't get off it. Does that make money bad? No. But it shows that we can't put our hope in money. Our hope is in the Lord. And when our hope is in the Lord, we use money as the tool it is for our daily needs, to save, to give to others, but it, it doesn't have the same power over us as when we put our hope in it. In the first letter to Timothy, uh, the people of the community, especially those with more financial assets, are warned to be careful about how they think about their money, that those who have more money should not be haughty, they should not be proud, they shouldn't lord it over the other people who don't have as much money. Rather, the people should be generous. They should share. They should make their resources available to others. And if they live in that way, they will know that life, which is truly life. But what does that mean? The life that is truly life. That is a reference in a certain way to eternal life. So when we live in good relationship with God, when we have chosen to follow Christ, there is a freedom in our lives that comes from knowing that sense of hope and peace in our lives after our deaths. So that life that is really life can refer in part to eternal life, to the life beyond this life. But we know from the Gospels, and especially from the Gospel according to John, that when Jesus is talking about life, it isn't just that eternal life after our deaths, but it's the way that we experience eternal life in this life. That there's a fullness of time, a joy that is eternal life now. And we experience that eternal life now when we share, when we give, when we think of others. There is a strange irony. I've experienced it, and I'm guessing that some of the others of you here have. That sometimes when we think about the good old days, sometimes part of the good old days was a time when you actually had less money. Now again, that 
seems like it doesn't make any sense. But I remember in my 20s living with two roommates in an apartment in South Evanston. None of us had very much, but when we pooled the stuff that three of us had, we had enough. So my roommate Martha had the stereo system, but I had the better record collection. When we were going to cook, Martha had the wok, but I had the colander. <laughs> and when we put all our stuff together, it turned out we had enough. And something happened in that sharing. I've heard my parents talk about that in their early years in California. They'd been transferred out there because of dad's work. And they were like many people in their adult Sunday school class who were all transplants from other parts. And they all shared with one another. They uh, would share tools and equipment that they needed for their homes. And they would share babysitting among the different families. And you know, those are the best friends my parents ever made. During that period of time when they had less money, and they needed each other more. Now, am I glorifying those times that you don't have money? No, I'm not saying that. But, but somehow that impulse to share happens more when we're needier. And sometimes as we have more assets, we forget the joy that we felt in sharing when it felt like we had no other choice. At Christ United Methodist Church, we have two ministries I want to lift up that, that are examples of the life that is really life. The first of those, deeply loved by this congregation, is our youth work camp. Every year, for one week, our senior high students go to another community, and they give up a week of their lives. They give up a week that they could have been earning money, they could have been playing, they could have been in summer school, but they say, no, I'm setting that time aside for others. They go into another community and they serve. And let me tell you, as someone who has visited it, it is not pretty. <laughs> Where they go to serve may be smelly. It may be dusty. The students get very sweaty. It can be really hot. It can just, it's not always pretty. And yet they hang in. Our students are so hardworking. I am so proud of them. They knock themselves out to make other people's homes warmer and safer and drier. And when they come back from that week, they are high. Now, how do you explain that? You just spent a week being hot and dirty and thirsty, and you came back and you're full. They're full because they've been generous with their time and with their resources. And we as a congregation that supports that work camp financially and through our prayers, we get to celebrate that joy when they come back and lead us in work camp Sunday and we all have that sense that we were part of something that really mattered. And we all feel full from that. We feel the blessing of having been part of that. The blessing of work camp that gives us that taste of the life that is really life. Another example of the life that is really life is actually going on today and tomorrow with our Thanksgiving basket ministry. When I came into this church, I was stunned to learn about this, and I'm so, so proud of all of you in making that happen. Every year through our Thanksgiving basket ministry, we give away over $11,000 of food. This is a big undertaking. It takes a whole lot of people to pull this off. It takes donors, it takes people who write small checks or big checks, who give us the money so that we can buy the food to be able to supply that. And through that, this year it's gonna be, I think 120 families will receive a week's worth of food because of the generosity of this congregation. When you are making that donation, you're choosing not to do other things. 
That's money you might have spent on an indulgence for yourself or another gift for a family member. But instead, you say, no, I want to invest here. I want to feed the hungry. You're making that choice, and your donations make that ministry possible. But it's not just our financial donations. It's the amazing staff of Gray's Foods. They are amazing partners with us. They start in August watching for the sales on the food items that are going to go in those baskets to get us the absolute best prices so we can donate even more. They are amazing partners in this. The Gray's Food staff then sell us the food at wholesale so that our cost is even less. They are amazing partners. It's not just the donors and them, it's also the volunteers. People will come, maybe some of you will be part of that, who will come back here this Sunday afternoon and unload the food off the trucks and help set up the tables for the distribution. Tomorrow morning, another set of people will come and they'll go through with a food carton, with food baskets, and they'll make up the three boxes of food that each family will receive. That is a lot of sacrifice on the part of the donors, on the part of the Gray staff who have plenty else to do to keep a business going, on the part of volunteers who could be some, doing something else this afternoon or tomorrow morning. All of those things come together and 120 families will be fed because of you. And when we do this, there is a feeling that comes over us of, yeah, that. That's what I want to be part of. And we feel differently as we enjoy our Thanksgiving meals, knowing that our church made that possible for hungry families. It feels really good. That is the life that is really life. Brothers and sisters, money is a tool. It's nice to have it. We need it for our livelihood. But we also always need to remember that it's just a tool and that with God first in our lives, money gets put in its proper place as an option, as something that provides for our daily needs, as something that needs to be saved for our own needs, but also which can be given away to provide fullness of life for others. Our brothers and sisters we know and those we do not know. What a blessing it is to be generous people, to treat our assets as entrusted to us and then made available to others. Today is the first of two Sundays in which you'll be invited to make an estimate of giving for the coming year for your church. This is not meant to be a heavy thing. This is a joy to reflect upon what God has given each of us and then to choose a percentage of what we feel called to do in our own giving. Uh, some of you are going to be prepared to make a pledge today. Others of you aren't prepared or that isn't something you choose to do. That's fine. This isn't a day of pressure or guilt. It's a day of joy. Because it feels really good to make that decision and to offer that estimate of giving, that pledge card, and say, this is what I feel called to do so that others might have the life that is really life. And in so doing, we experience the life that is really life. Thanks be to God. Amen.